welcome to Alternative Eye, the series that features students and staff from University of Galway reflecting on why difference is not always what we think it is. Our meetings were actually at 5.30. The explosion happened at 6.07. This episode, Survivor's Guilt. I'm Maria. My full name is Maria Kesterian. It's very hard to pronounce, so I just go with I just say Maria. I'm from Lebanon, but ethnically I'm from Ar- like ethnically I'm Armenian, but I was born and raised in Lebanon. Well, my dad was born and raised in Lebanon. My mom was born and raised in Syria. I always say that I'm Lebanese Syrian Armenian. It's very important for me to say that I am Armenian because that's how we grow up, knowing that we haven't seen our own lands, we haven't seen our everything that our ancestors built. It's Whenever I introduce myself, the Armenian part is very important because even after this year is 108 year after the genocide, we, we still have our culture, we still have our language. When I say that I am fully Middle Eastern or Lebanese and I am fully Armenian, it is kind of like people kind of get like, what, how? It's just who I am. We have a day that we specifically for the Armenian genocide, which is April 24 every year. On the night of April 24, 1915, all of our uh, academics, all of our writers and all of our soldiers, they were the ones who were attacked so that the nation would be kept powerless. In southeast Turkey, which is to us, it's historical Armenia, they were eliminated, we can say, from our lands, from their lands, and they went through the deserts of Syria and then to Lebanon. And that's why we have a lot of diasporan Armenians in Syria and Lebanon, because that was the route that the Ottoman Empire took the Armenians. They estimate that 1.5 million Armenians were killed, and it's the first genocide when the gen- when the Armenian genocide happened, actually, the word genocide didn't exist. As I said, I was born in Ar- uh, in Lebanon, uh, but I went to an Armenian school because <laughs> wherever there is an Armenian, there is surely a church and a school. <laughs> Armenian church and the school, even though it's very interesting that uh, Armenians are like, especially after the Soviet Union, they aren't that into religion, but it, it's a cultural thing. Now it's more, more of a cultural thing because Armenians are the first Christian nation in the world. I was born in an Armenian village in Lebanon. For any Armenian Diaspora Armenians who live outside of Armenia, they are very, uh, they stick together because they are afraid if they get out, they will be vanished. I, it was very, I don't want to say close-minded village, but they hardly accept others, even like Lebanese, because they were afraid of losing their identity. But nowadays I can say it has changed a lot and um, it has changed a lot specifically because my generation and my siblings' generations, I have uh, one brother and one sister, they're twins. They are younger than me, and we all went to the, to the same school. I can say that my generation and on, it has changed a bit because I wasn't born during the civil war in Lebanon. So I have, I have only heard the stories. I'm the first generation after the civil war in Lebanon. So I haven't 
lived the atrocities. I have only heard of, of it. So for my parents, it's a bit hard to accept others, as they say, or like foreigners. For them, it's foreigners. But like for us, it's all like Lebanese. It's it's very interesting because when when people from my village go outside and then they come back there they they're like oh they they did this to us they were very racist to us and they did like they didn't accept us but at the same time when we're in our village village they're the ones who are doing the same thing without even like unconsciously they are doing it when I graduated high school I went to um, university in Lebanon. Um, that was actually my first time that I was around so many Arabs. Um, usually, like in because in my town we were all Armenians. That was my first time that I was actually around so many Arabs from different backgrounds, I can say, or different religions. Like I know I was born in Lebanon, but I had to learn some stuff in university. Like it's it's kind of difficult to believe that, but it happens. Uh, I studied communication arts and journalism and graduated in 2018. So when I graduated in 2018, uh, I started working in a school in my village uh, as public relations manager uh, from 2018 till the end of 2019. In 2020, uh, the war started in Armenia, in Artsakh which is known as Nagorno-Karabakh. Artsakh is the Armenian name. Um, the war started there between Artsakh and Azerbaijan. And before that, before the war started, the explosion happened in Lebanon. And then before the explosion happened, the revolution ha uh, had, like, the revolution was there. So it's from 2019 till, 20, till now, I can say my life has been ups and downs. The during the revolution, I can say that the revolution was the best time of my life. <laughs> yeah, because that was the time that I actually felt that I belonged to my country. When the civil war ended, our politicians kind of wanted to filter our thoughts and not make us think about the civil war. So that happened in 2019 when the revolution started, it was... I can say historical because in Lebanon, usually any kind of um, any kind of gatherings you wouldn't see only Lebanese flags. We have eighteen different sects, and each one of them has their own flag. So they would raise their own parties or political sects uh, flag. But during the revolution, it it was all Lebanese flags, and there was no political uh, flags. So that was very, very historical. Like the revolution stopped because of COVID, but then a few months later, the explosion happened. For the explosion, I have suffered from survival's guilt for so many reasons, as many Lebanese. So my village is an hour away from Beirut where it happened. And my village is in a valley, but we still heard the explosion, even though it's like very far. Every Tuesday, I used to go to a meeting. I used to belong, like, I still am involved with the uh, center that I used to volunteer with. And uh, we used to have our regular meetings every Tuesday, and I used to drive there. And our meetings were actually at 5.30. The explosion happened at 6.07. Um, so on that day, 
I was a bit late. Um, so I texted my friends and my colleagues there saying that I might not come because I don't want to drive fast. And the roads in Lebanon are not safe at all if you drive fast. So um, I texted them like I said, there's a big chance that I won't come. Or if I come, I'll be a bit late. So I didn't go. <laughs> if I like, I was. Um, if I were there, wherever I parked my car, I parked my car every single Tuesday. It was gone, and the center that we used to have our meetings, it was all gone. And my friends who were there, they were hurt. Thankfully, they weren't. They they survived, but they were like in a very bad situation so that's why i have suffered from survivor's guilt like i was supposed to be there but i wasn't there um so for an entire month i used to drive every single day from my village to beirut to rebuild our capital which is a very beautiful city while I was in the middle of all of these. The war started in Armenia and I had a bit of dilemma. Should I go? Should I not go? If I go, what would I do? I couldn't stop the explosion in Beirut. So I said to myself, maybe I can help my ethnic people, Armenians. So um, I contacted an organization saying that I have a background in journalism and communication arts and I can volunteer. End of November I moved to Armenia. So it was very emotional because this time I was actually witnessing history. All the time that I was there I was telling to myself this isn't something you're reading. This isn't something they're teaching you in school. This isn't something you're reading in your history book. This is something that you're actually with you are witnessing history. The name of the organization is Kritigs. Kritig in Armenian means sister, and the S is just Kritigs for like sisters. It's all female organization, and uh, we were all between the ages of 22 till like 29. We encourage Armenians, Armenian diaspora girls to be who they are. And then uh, when I was there and working with them, we basically helped uh, pregnant women in Armenia. Uh, not in Armenia, I can say uh, people who were mm, displaced uh, because there were no organized, like there were a lot of organizations helping soldiers, wounded soldiers, families who have lost members. But uh, no one was actually asking about the pregnant women whose husbands were fighting on the front lines. Like I learned a lot about pregnancy and how trauma affects your pregnancy and everything during my time of work. I can say I didn't know much about pregnancy, <laughs> but it was it was very interesting. As someone coming from the Middle East, as an Armenian Arab, it's very difficult to choose a place to go because of the visa restrictions, because of basically who you are. And my sister, she's in the States. She's studying her undergraduate in the States. She doesn't like it there because of racism. She faces racism every single day. Well, this is very sad to say, but fortunately she doesn't look Middle Eastern. 
She has brunette hair and hazel eyes. She's not brown. She's she leans towards like blonde. So people don't know that she's Middle Eastern. So once she's once they find out, everything changes. <laughs> so that's why like I didn't want to go there. For for me, the option was like Europe. And why I say like Europe or and not like I don't know Gulf countries or other countries is because. At the end of the day, being from the Middle East, you always want to go somewhere that you can find life easier. I, I surely knew that I want to do something in advocacy. Um, so I was searching universities within Europe. I came up a new University of Galway now, <laughs> University of Galway's public advocacy and activism course. I was like, I really wanted to come to Ireland for so many reasons, but uh, this course was encouraged me as well but the reasons is because first of all i've heard i've read the stories that ireland isn't like any other european country <laughs> they have uh like colonial they were like a colony and they are more accepting and everything so that was my main uh, reason that i chose Ireland. And the other reason is because I am very, very pro-Palestine. Like I'm very vocal about that. Other European countries, they still have the guilt of the Holocaust. So if I take if I say something like pro-Palestine, they would consider me an anti-Semite. But I can't be an anti-Semite because I am a Semite. Uh, to be honest, I haven't had um I mean, I have had conversations and reactions from certain people when they hear that I'm from the Middle East, but like nothing major that makes made me like regret. On the contrary, like Irish people here, they are proving me that I chose the right place. The, I mean, as I said, there are certain uh, things that happens, but I, I think that's part of life. Uh, sometimes when I um, when I'm in a group and someone asks me where I am from, I usually say Middle East because I like every time I say Lebanon, they will ask me where it is. So I just say Middle East, and then sometimes they would just stop talking to me. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, um, and sometimes they would be making some very like racist comments thinking that they are very funny like oh are you here to commit a suicide bomb or like yeah so stuff like that and someone actually asked me how come you're you're an arab and you have colored eyes <laughs> i'm like i'm really sorry that one of my ancestors thought it's it's elite to sleep with with our colonial people <laughs> Yeah, so there are these like concepts that a Middle Eastern should look like. And because I don't look like a real Arab or a, a real Middle Eastern, I'm not as brown. I'm just fair and I have colored eyes. Uh, they look at me in a way that uh, if they, they don't know that I'm from there, they they and uh, they look at me as a normal pers person. And then when I tell them that I'm from the Middle East, suddenly they're even their gaze changes yeah yeah so uh <laughs> i can say that it was very difficult for me to choose to live outside of middle east because that like i was always afraid of racism 
and what I'm going to face. And I can say that I've been out of my comfort zone since I came here uh, because I'm always afraid that people are going to look down on me because I'm not white. And people would look at me as like an uncivilized person. At the beginning, I was very much avoiding social gatherings and everything because I didn't want to face all of these um, interactions. But then I thought to myself, if I'm here, I should probably educate them and tell them we're actually civilized. You know, the very first law school in the world wasn't in Italy. It was in Lebanon. <laughs> and the very first university in the world was... Um, a Muslim woman made, uh, she was the one who established it. People here, I don't want to say here, but like sometimes Western countries, they have this mentality that if you're from the Middle East, you still live in tents, you still ride the camel and girls can't go to school. Uh, someone actually asked me like, how come you're from the Middle East and you're not wearing a hijab? I don't know how to answer to these questions. and. I try to educate them. It's very difficult because it kind of it it kind of hurts me because they only see us as like the women who are under the veil. They don't have any rights and all of these, but at the same time I'm kind of happy that I'm educating people. I think this is um it might take a while to change because it's been here for years now. But <clears throat> the very first thing that uh, can be done is in the university here, it, they have a lot of like Latin nights or like uh, different kind of cultural nights. But up until now, I still didn't hear any kind of like Middle Eastern or Arab night. There are several parties like uh, the, where they only play Indian music or Latin music. Uh, maybe they would start by doing that from the very small uh, step. The university here has uh, different um, scholarships and specifically for postgraduate students, they have area-based scholarships. But Middle Eastern students, we only have one, um, one option, which is the merit-based, and everyone knows that is very difficult to get. I think that should be addressed as well. So I don't know how to put this, but usually when, when international students are around, we are just numbers. Oh, I am just a like a number on their checklist. They have a Middle Eastern in this, any kind of thing that the university is, happen uh, is doing. Um, and they make us feel like we are just there for the racial differences. And they are just showing that, oh, we accept everyone. Maybe like stop making us feel that we're just a number or just someone on your checklist. The main similarity between all of us is that we are humans. <laughs> Uh, no matter our culture, no matter our background. But at the same time, for me, for example, what I can relate with the Irish people specifically in like when I'm around town or, any, or anything, I can I always ask about like uh, about when they were under the colonial uh, rules and everything and how I can relate to that. And 
And specifically, like, sometimes I ask, because I know from my experience living in Lebanon, growing up in Lebanon, yes, we are not colonized now by the French, but somehow their uh, impact is still so much ruling Lebanon. And I always ask, like, the Irish, do you feel like there's still the impact of the Brits on you? And it's always yes. So, like, there... uh, I guess like similarities amongst minorities, you can find it very easily within the culture, within the history, within their stories and like even everyday life. Galway is very, um, as as a student, it's a very student-friendly city, town. It's between, like it's not that big, it's not that small, so I don't know what to call. <laughs> but like it's very student-friendly and uh, you have access to everything. And uh, what I like about Galway specifically is I actually feel home, even though I'm far away from my family, but I do feel home. The people here do kind of accept you, as I said. And if you're around like old people and you say that I'm from like, and they ask you, they uh, Irish people, I think they ask a lot of questions. <laughs> So they ask you, where are you from and everything. And when I tell them that I'm from Lebanon, they, mainly the old people, as I said, they always say that, oh, we have troops there and and uh, we love Lebanon. We, are, we love Lebanese food and everything. And uh, they say, they start asking me if my family's here. And when I say that I'm all alone, they're like, oh, you should come visit us. You have a family here. Don't worry about that. You're not alone. So I really love the people. <laughs> One of my favorite songs is Thousand and One Nights by Saint Levant. The song starts with what do you think when you think of an Arab? Yeah, and throughout the song, it talks about Palestine, it talks about Lebanon, it talks about Egypt. It's And it's a mix of languages, English, Arabic, French, which is basically who we are. That's how we talk. When we talk, we don't stick to Arabic. We don't stick to English. It's always a collage of languages. So kind of, it, it kind of represents us. Throw a pyramid in there. Well, guess who's here. Saint-Levant don't see the momentum online, but we in us together Shuhada, but they living forever Follow the name means to never surrender Lost law, it's a whole nother level Independent and I'm doing it better Kevin Fanny, I'm a national treasure Thousand and one nights in a Alternative Eye was devised and produced by Orla Higgins with editing by Cormac Corcoran. The series has been supported financially by the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Budget of the College of Arts, Social Sciences and Celtic Studies, University of Galway. Recorded at Flirt FM Studios, University of Galway with thanks to Paula Healy and Heather Hinchin Quinn. The music featured in this episode is 1001 Nights by Saint Levant. Special thanks to all the series contributors and thanks for listening.